Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 215. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. This is a very hard few weeks in America. There are fastballs and curveballs and knuckleballs and even shitballs coming at us fast and furious. And as the entire nation awaits the next big pitch, now is definitely a time to stay vigilant. Trout's ready. 3-2. He struck him out! Otani strikes out Trout, and Japan's back on top of the baseball world. Broke out his best slider on the 3 2 pitch. Wow. If you didn't see it yourself, that was the final out of the World Baseball Classic. The clash of countries that happens every four years. It's styled after the Soccer World Cup and is one of the most watched sporting events of the year. It pits 20 teams from around the world against each other. And the final in Miami came down to that last showdown between the USA's Mike Trout and Japan's Shohai Otani. And Otani, the best player in the world and one of the most compelling stars in baseball history, won the moment, and Japan won the tournament. It was another painful loss for America, after what's been a few weeks of painful losses for America. This one, in a sport we invented, the U.S. was defeated by a team representing our former archenemy. And it was another tough one for America. It's been a rough week for America, a rough month for America. We lost to WBC, Banks are collapsing. The Fed raised rates again for the ninth time in a row. The Iraq War turned 20. Scandoval engulfed Vanderpump rules and dominated gossip headlines. The entire country is on edge as a pending Trump indictment looms. And the world learned that COVID may have started out in animals called raccoon dogs, which sound like a minor league baseball mascot. Our reality is nuts all as we reflect on the birthday of Mr. Rogers, a guy whose advice we could all use right now. It's a tough, intense time in America. By the time you hear this, who knows what kind of crazy shit could be unfolding across the nation we love. It's definitely a time to stay vigilant and to stay frosty, to stay cool, to stay level-headed, to stay thoughtful. And our guest in this episode 
is a returning champion, a dear friend, and a truly wise voice to help us sort through all of it. And we're going to need it. Because as baseball season starts off next week, the crazy news and tough pitches just keep flying at our heads. And it's a challenging time to be on the field. Stuff's flying around all over. Poland and Slovakia are finally answering Ukraine's call for aircraft. But it's still a swing and a miss from the U.S. And it's past time for the U.S. to do it. President Biden should send the F-16s. We should have sent them a year ago. More on that coming up. And maybe Trump should have been indicted a year ago. Better late than never, right? Well, maybe it's finally coming. It's overdue, and it's necessary, and maybe it's finally really coming. But also likely coming is violence nationwide. This moment will be a great test for our nation and our national security, possibly even more than on January 6th. Because as I've covered on this show, the American insurgency is real, rising, and remains our number one national security threat. And while, as of this recording, Trump's arrest looms, there's much less certainty about many others who committed crimes that deeply wounded our national security. Four people associated with the far-right Oath Keepers were convicted on conspiracy and obstruction charges this week, all from the January 6th insurrection, in this the third trial involving the extremist group. Sandra Parker of Ohio, Laura Steele of North Carolina, William Isaacs of Florida, Connie Meggs of Florida, were all found guilty by a jury in Washington of conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding and other felony charges. And I say, lock them up. Lock them all up. We have plenty of cells. It's America. We have plenty of jail cells. And there's lots of room now at Gitmo for these four, maybe for Trump, even for Putin, and for anyone else associated with the American insurgency. But they may not all go quietly. I don't think we're going to see a full-blown civil war, but we could definitely see some radicals try to spark one. They're going to take a big swing. And like in baseball, they don't have to bat 1,000 to be successful. So stay frosty, everyone, and stay vigilant, because stakes is high. And because we weren't vigilant on January 6th, and we weren't in many days since, and we weren't 20 years ago this week. Now, I told my wife that this week was going to be a weird one, that the Iraq 20th anniversary was going to mess with me and with many of our vets in ways we might not realize. And it could correspond with all the Trump drama, which would make it extra weird. So I told my wife to please just keep this in mind regarding me this week. And to all my Iraq vet friends, you might want to share something similar with your loved ones if you haven't already. We've been through a lot, but they have too. We volunteered 20 years ago. They got drafted. And now we're all in it together, trying to figure it all out or not trying, but in it together. So check in with your families and check in on your buddies, all of them that you can. Because you know why, and you never know who needs it. But we know 
that we shouldn't repeat it. And that starts with ensuring that we all learn from our mistakes, especially in Washington, where there's actually some progress on some key unfinished business from Iraq. The House GOP opposition to the Iraq AUMF is softening. It appears that some top House Republicans are actually weakening on their opposition to repealing the Iraq war authorizations, the blank check to the president known as the AUMF. Now, it's still unclear whether Speaker McCarthy will bring it up to a vote or not, but the Senate was on track to scrap the 1991 and 2002 authorizations for the use of force against Iraq. And now the attention is on the House, and there are more than enough votes to pass the measure there. But House GOP leaders have still been noncommittal about whether or not they'll allow a floor vote. So if you can, reach out and tell them to bring it to a vote. Now, two years ago, the House passed a repeal of the 2002 Iraq AUMF with a significant chunk of Republicans, about 50 of them, backing it. This time around, that number would likely be much higher. And it should happen. We've covered it on this show in many episodes. And in this one, we reflect on all of it all that happened in Iraq and happened since and all that's happening now. And we think about this moment and how leaders can rise to it, especially veterans and especially independent Americans. Independent Americans are ready to step up to the plate. There's lots of groups out there giving independence a bad name, including a group that you may have heard of called No Labels. Now, No Labels says they want to bust up American politics by running an independent candidate for president. And Fox and others have reported that they've been courting politicians like Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, and Susan Collins to build what they've called a unity ticket. But understandably, many folks are worried that this won't really empower independence. It'll just kneecap Biden, or potentially kneecap Trump, and end up ruining the label for all independent Americans. Now, no Labels is just the latest example of a group that's given independence a bad name. They're old news, old leaders with old strategies. And this is all just silly without actually running a real candidate through the model. But the new independent movement is bigger than a presidency in 2024. And it doesn't want to be a spoiler. Now, conservative columnist Bill Crystal called him out on this and said No Label's own map gives away the game. They project to win two-thirds of their electoral votes with this bipartisan ticket in states that Biden won in 2020. So by their own admission, their prime targets are voters who would otherwise back the Democrat. Now, this is an example of how No Label's is just the latest group to give independents a bad name. They're old news, old leaders with old strategies. And this is all pretty silly without actually running real candidates through their model. The new independent movement is bigger than the presidency in 2024. And it doesn't really want to fuel a spoiler. Real independents want a voice. We want access to open primaries. We want a system that empowers us and reduces the stranglehold of the two-party duopoly. We want candidates who are real independents, not just Democrats or Republicans who changed jerseys or saw opportunity. Independents are the majority, and we are the future. And that includes 50% of post-9-11 veterans, who I think can be the leading edge of this new independent movement. 
Like so many other independents, we believe in country over party. And we're ready to rise to this pivotal moment and crush this big pitch like Otani, Aaron Judge, and Babe Ruth combined on the biggest pitches of our lifetime. When the losses keep on coming, we need to understand them. We need to write about them. We need to talk about them. And we need to change to prevent them from happening again. And our guest in this episode is an example for America that can help us do it. And the week after St. Patrick's Day, the anniversary of the Iraq War and the start of baseball season is the perfect time to call him out of the bullpen. It's our friend, the great Matt Gallagher. I think Matt's one of the most important voices of our time. He's an internationally recognized author of novels including Empire City, Youngblood, and the forthcoming Daybreak that he'll tell you about. He authored the classic Iraq War memoir, Kaboom, and he's been the finalist for the Dayton Literary Peace Prize. He's written for Esquire, ESPN, The New York Times, The Paris Review, and Wired. He's had a great series of short stories called Fire and Forget, and he's popular, funny, insightful, a must-follow on Twitter on everything from politics and the war to his beloved Cleveland Browns. The last time he joined us was a year ago, after he just left Ukraine, and he came to us live from Poland. And he's back now to share the latest from Ukraine, the latest from Washington, and the latest from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's not shipping out to Boston, but he's shipped out to Iraq, to Ukraine, and to Tulsa. He understands America like few people I know. And he's the perfect guy to call balls and strikes. And we're lucky to have him in our roster and to be able to call him to the mound right now. Welcome to a very hard time in America, a fragile time. Welcome to a time of tension, reflection, pain, and maybe even optimism. Welcome for a moment in the game in the late innings where we all need to dig deep, dig in, find our best stuff, and meet this moment with courage. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 215. gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world. We're almost at the end of March, but it's no less 
ferocious and tumultuous than how it started. There is a lot going on in the world. And sometimes I think it feels like we're all drowning in shit. And, and I am very grateful to have a returning champion to help guide us through the times, especially when it seems like there are mountains of shit. Uh, a guy who has a, a laser sharp mind, uh, one of the best pens uh, or now keyboards in America, and is a dear and, and thoughtful uh, friend. The great and powerful Matt Gallagher is finally back on Independent Americans. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you, Paul. Glad to be back with you. So uh, last time we talked to you, you were in Poland. Mm -hmm. uh, now you're in maybe an even more interesting place. So I'll start with, you know, where are you and how are you? Uh, doing well. Uh, living the living the family life and dad life here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, my wife and two boys and I moved down here from Brooklyn uh, about a year and a half ago for a writer's fellowship. And uh, it's been a big change, different uh, different part of America, but uh, we've, we've really taken to it. It's, 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 it's nice. And, and one of the cool things is you learn people are people everywhere, right? I mean, good, they're good. They're good Americans everywhere. And uh, hey, we have a yard now, which, uh, which the kids love. So that's pretty cool too. So I want to talk to you about a lot of things. I want to just kind of go around the horn. I want to talk about Trump and I want to talk about Iraq at 20. I want to talk about Ukraine and the fabulous article you wrote there. Uh, I'd love to talk sports and just American culture. I feel like, you know, Sebastian was on, Younger was on a couple weeks ago. And I feel like whenever I touch base with him, he gives us a good sense of the world and you do the same, but I can't move off this Tulsa thing because uh, is the only other person who moved from Brooklyn to Tulsa um, who, who also has a platform like Sylvester Stallone in Tulsa <laughs> King. Have you, have you watched that show? And if you do, if you have, I think it's awesome. If, if you haven't, or you have, what are your thoughts on, on that and the, that kind of a transition? Yeah, we have seen it. It's a good show. Uh, we actually saw it filming. My, uh, my wife, Annie is an assistant principal in North Tulsa. Uh, and, uh, last year, uh, we would see Tulsa King kind of filming in, in kind of this empty strip mall, uh, every morning. Uh, and we never, never saw Sly himself though, you know, friends and acquaintances you, you see about town would, would have spotted him in a coffee shop or, or in the mall. Like there's a mall in, uh, on the other side of town that it's like walking into 1995, um, uh, cause it's full, it's packed. You see teenagers wearing their Letterman's jackets. Uh, it's like the inter you know, internet shopping does not exist. So you know that that was a big change uh, from uh, that's not something you you saw in Brooklyn very much. But uh, let's see, uh, you know Woody Guthrie is big down here. Uh, the Bob Dylan Center is is a is a big spot here as well. So you, you know they're they're doing a real good job. You know part of my writers fellowship it's a real small piece of kind of this this foundation that's funded by a uh, uh, an oil billionaire who's uh, devoting his fortune to kind of, re, you know, helping rebuild and, and rejuvenate his, his hometown. And uh, uh, it's, it's really kind of a weird, vibrant city in, in, in the best of ways. I mean, like any place else, it has its faults, but uh, uh, we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. We just kind of wanted a, an American adventure and we, we had gotten that, yeah. Mm. I love it. I look forward to reading and, and seeing all your perspective on this. I would remind everyone to follow you on Twitter. You're one of my favorite people to follow on the winding and weird cesspool that is Twitter. Um, but you're also one of my favorite people to touch base on all things because you've got such an insightful view and you're funny and you keep it real. And I think you're just able to communicate 
a feel for things in a way that other people can't. So let me just ask you, Matt, like off the top here, I mentioned we're kind of all going through shit. So we're late. I was late in recording this because my four-year-old um, hasn't pooped properly in like four weeks. So it's been a very trauma traumatic time a lot of screaming not a lot of pooping and then lots of pooping so like i feel like for the last couple weeks my wife and my kids and i have literally like been covered in shit but i also feel like america feels like that right now with like trump and the bank collapses um and and the stresses of you know potential violence but taking a step back matt like where is america right now what's your read on on where our country is right now things feel very tense um, last weekend, I attended a literature conference in Pennsylvania. So passed, I, I passed through New York uh, for one of the first times since we moved away. And it was actually the, the same day as the St. Patrick's Day Parade. And uh, uh, news was starting to circulate about Trump's possible arrest. And yeah, there, there was kind of a nervous energy uh, in Midtown Manhattan that, that I don't remember. You know, there's always, a, uh, always an energy to Midtown Manhattan, but th- there's a, there a political tenseness that I uh, on a on a you know a parade day on a on a holiday that that I don't remember being there um, previously. Um, certainly, uh, you know when I check in with with folks uh, that I served with in the army who maybe have different political views than I do, uh, there's a there's an anger and a distrust and a cynicism that that I don't personally feel, but but they do, and that you know that make that makes it real, right? That's part of being in a republic is is uh agreeing to disagree um so you know in, in some ways I, I am i am deeply nervous right um i, I worry that uh january 6 wasn't a one-off that perhaps it was a a prologue to something darker and larger um and you know the divisiveness of the last at least seven years if not longer um isn't isn't fading the way i think many of us hoped it would uh, that said, uh, you know, part of part of the welcome change to coming coming to Oklahoma has been kind of um, realizing, you know, a lot of people, most people, don't live and live and die with with the highs and lows of cable news. They're just, you know, they're just going about their days, tr- you know, trying to provide for their families, checking in with their neighbors. You know, what, a, a great anecdote that I tell people uh, when we first moved here, uh, we've been here about two or three months. And it was the first tor- big tornado warning. This is tornado country. And independently, four different neighbors uh, came to check in on the strange new Yankees because they, 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 weren't, they weren't sure that we knew what to do. And we, we didn't. Uh, 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 and they just wanted to you know, check in on us. Um, and you know, these are uh, all kinds of different people. One is kind of your t- prototypical good old boy, right? Drives a pickup truck. Uh, Another is a, a, a real friendly gay couple. Um, uh, that, that we've, we've become good friends with. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the family next door has a boy about our eldest age and we've become close with them and they play. You know, people from different walks of life um, might have different worldviews. Of, it, it was just a very American experience. And, and I try to remember that when I'm feeling uh, in great despair uh, for my country. Uh, and I, you know, I'm not trying to be a Pollyanna about this. We're, these are dangerous times. But but uh, hope still persists if you allow it to and if you look for it. This is why I love talking to you, man. And I also like had had to have you on around St. Patrick's Day because that <laughs> is just is just a, maybe I'll have you come each year on on St. Patrick's Day for kind of a check in on all things American. But um, 
you know, you, you're, you're one of my friends that's kind of a keeper of the flame in America. And I think we've had um, folks like Ken Burns on who've talked about grievance. And I mentioned Sebastian and Jason Dempsey and others who I think have a really astute understanding, um, strategic view, and then just like a gut feel for America. And I feel like you've got that no matter where you are. And it's part of why you're such a, a powerful writer. Um, I, you know, as you, you just uh, filed your new, no turn in your newest novel, Daybreak, um, which I'm excited to hear more about, but you're, you're, you're now writing about so many things and, and you're touching on, on all these pieces, but I, but we always have this understanding about national security, right. As veterans, um, and culture and even violence, right. Like understanding violence by the time this airs, Trump may have been indicted. Um, there may be violence, but can you talk about that? You know, let's assume he's indicted, whether he does the perp walk or not, we don't know. But um, what do you think that means? How do you feel about that? And, you know, if one day you're going to talk to your two boys about this, how do you explain what this moment is? I think most importantly is this is proof for us all that uh, this is a nation of laws, right? That uh, if, uh, uh, you know, he hasn't been convicted yet or anything, but that like power can and will be held accountable. And, you know, I've, I've seen some chatter that perhaps it's disappointing that it, uh, you know, this is mostly coming out, at least initially, mostly coming from uh, Stormy Daniels, uh, as opposed to, say, some of the uh, alleged election tampering in 2020. Uh, you know, rules are rules. The law is the law, you know, and uh, sometimes um, uh, it's not going to be exactly what you dreamed of it's 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 not going to be uh, a silver bullet for for everything you know al capone being a very famous example uh, the government finally got him on tax and uh, uh tax evasion right uh but that uh, even a former president of the united states of america um uh can and will be held accountable and that has almost always not been the case in the history of this country so in a way this is perhaps a marker of progress right that uh uh unlike um Nixon, unlike uh, uh, some other other former presidents that operated in the gray, um, this is uh, this is indicative that we are still committed to being a more just, uh, more more righteous uh, uh, nation um, uh, that applies to everyone. As for the as for the potential violence, um, you know that that unfortunately goes with the territory in the in the in these political times. Um, I just hope the people who are clamoring about it, uh, realize, uh, realize what it actually means. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure they do. It could just be a lot of hot air. Uh, you know, I, I, another guest of yours, I think uh, Malcolm Nance made a great point on Twitter that, you know, Oh, we're, we're all going to gather in, in, in New York city and, and protest together. I can't think of a more, uh, uh, surveilled place in America, right. Just to get into the city, uh, you're, you know, going going on the bridges or the underpasses, they're taking pictures, you know, every license plate is being taken. Um, you know, if, if you don't think some highly trained professionals are are watching your every move, if if, if that's what you're what, what you're planning, uh, you're a fool. Uh, so got to do what you got to do. I, you know, I, I it, it um, it's not something I take lightly. On the on the other hand, you know, the alternative is is ignoring it. And, 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 and uh, I think we've already seen the consequences of what that can do over over the long term and that is very corrosive to our to our country so that that, that can't happen anymore either 
Matt, I've, I've long said that I feel like America will not be taken as seriously uh, by the rest of the world unless Trump's in handcuffs. Like, I feel like the damage that he's done to the world and the damage he's done, especially to our country, as kind of like an abusive stepfather who took over our house and started beating up everybody and breaking everything. Um, I feel like there needs to be accountability for the world to see that there's accountability. And, and, and I think it might be the first time we really see it at this level, but he's also been the most egregious. So it seemed like only a matter, he was so sloppy. He was so arrogant. He was so everywhere. It felt like only a matter of time before he hit some guardrail, right? Even before he was elected, I was talking about that, but the violence piece, you know, I, I look at, you know, in, in a unique way, I think, because as I've told people, you only need like a couple hundred thousand people for an insurgency. And he's got millions, maybe tens of millions of supporters and all that surveillance is in place. But it also feels a bit like after 9-11, where I thought about the St. Patty's Day Parade. And I'm like, do I take my kids? My wife says stay out of Midtown because we know about the symbolism of places like New York and D.C., um, and, and January 6th maybe underscores that. Um, I've called it the American insurgency. You've fought insurgencies. You know, you've uh, uh, really tracked on them around the country and around the world. And now you're following everything happening in Ukraine. How do you describe the national security threat of this? These people who will do violence uh, in support of Trump to overthrow the government and, and, and change our direction. What do you, how do you categorize it? And, and and how do you think about it? So, you know, I'll preface this by saying I'm hardly an expert on the subject, but I, you know, I, it's something I am greatly interested in, um, and and did once uh, once was a counterinsurgent. Uh, uh, so, one thing that I I think about on this issue uh, that gives me a bit of hope is is almost always uh, in like a, a real vibrant insurgency has to be grounded in poor economic conditions, right? Because that's where they recruit from. Not just Iraq being a prominent example, but think of Northern Ireland, right? Uh, um, uh, yeah, there was a lot of pro-Irish sen sentiment, but but the recruitment uh, uh, that uh, where, you know where they pulled the rank and file from were from the Belfast slums, right? I mean, th these were kids who didn't even have have other options, right? I mean, they weren't ideologues. So when I look around and see America, yeah, you know, and you know, there there is far too much economic disparity here uh, uh, for, for quote unquote the greatest country in the history of the world, in, in my opinion, but there's still not kind of the rampant um, economic insecurity yet that uh, historically really allows a vibrant insurgency to grow. Now, that said, that doesn't mean that a, a few ideologues uh, can't ruin a St. Patrick's Day parade, right, uh, in an attempt to make something spread. Um, it, that, that doesn't mean that a few dozen clowns, like on January 6th, uh, uh, can't try to take advantage of a moment and, and, and uh, uh, you know, embrace chaos. I mean, think, think how lucky, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, Ashley Babbitt and, 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 and Officer Slotnick. A couple more, couple more, you know, feral maniacs in there, it, it, could, it could have been far, far more violent, right? Um, you know, the, the footage of uh, those insurrectionists and uh, uh, those that enter the Capitol, I, be, I believe meet, meet that terminology, kind of like, quietly shuffling, shuffling away in defeat at the end of that day, it doesn't take much imagination to, to foresee um, that day ending far differently and far more violently, hmm. right? So uh, what does that mean in terms of uh, us as everyday citizens? I think it's just kind of like um, any, 
any other piece of modern violence, right? It's, it's um, finding your own risk factors, uh, your, your risk limitations, uh, but still not letting it impact your day-to-day life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm sure you're the same way, way as me, Paul. Every day I drop off my eldest at kindergarten, I, I say a prayer and, and wonder about you know, gun violence, um, while also trusting the fact that his administration, his teachers have a, have a plan. You know, they do, he's five years old and he, he does drills um, uh, for those things. And they've talked me through them and they're, you know, a, a security expert has, has taught these people well. It's fucking insane to me that uh, uh, here in America, this is our reality, but it is, right? And the potential for political violence in our country is something that we as individual people with our families are, are going to have to consider uh, in, the, in the years to come. But uh, if, it, if it means not leaving your house, if it means not going, you know, you, you, I, I have kind of fringe Republican friends who like won't go into cities uh, for, you know, for their version of this. I, th- I think that's absurd, right? Cause, and, and like that li- quite literally is, is, is how you let the terrorists win uh, w- w- when, it, when it's upturning your life to, to such a degree. So it's all about not dismissing the risk, but, but factoring it in. Uh, to to your day to day planning um, and and just kind of part of being an adult in America in 2023, I think. Yeah, it's it's our new normal. I mean, it's um, I, I remember and I, I want to pivot to Iraq when when I left for Iraq, I thought New York would be like Tel Aviv. I was like, you know, we're pissing off so much of the world that there's no way our new normal isn't going to have an increased level of violence, and 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 I expected it. I mean, I never would have predicted that there would have been so little violence domestically. And even now, in the same way, I'm surprised there's not more violence inside Russia from Ukrainians that just want to blast things and disrupt, right? But that's been the reality for the last 20 years here in in America. So this is all happening in like, I think especially for our era of maybe veterans and politically active people, especially, it's kind of a mindfuck time, right? Like you've got that you've got you've got the gun violence, which is always happening, but then you've got Trump and you've got Iraq and you've got Ukraine, and they're all kind of interwoven in different ways. But 20 years later, um, you know, we were all you and I and so many of our friends were a part of this, and it's 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 shaped so much of our lives. 20 years later, you know, I'm still processing it, we're all still processing it. Um I think I think I get angrier a little bit, or I guess a little bit more um focused on the unjustness of the war. And, and maybe that's because we now see Ukraine, which is a just war. And I, you know, I, you wrote about and, and tweeted about the, the trauma of what the Ukrainian soldiers are facing, which is unimaginable to me. And the kind of fighting they're facing is unimaginable to me, but they've got a just war. And, and, I, and I feel like that probably sits better with them than what we've got, which is this weird twisting simmer. Um, but 20 years after Iraq, you're one of the most important voices of our time, not just on Iraq, but this entire post 9-11 era. What, what are your reflections and thoughts, man? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, at first I thought I had nothing left, nothing to say about it. Cause it, I've been very blessed. You know, I've been writing about my experiences in the war in general for over 10 years now. Uh, and you know, I was, I was kind of excited and eager to let some other new voices emerge. Um, uh, you know, it makes sense. It's kind of silly, but the media, you know, the media has glommed onto this anniversary as, as now's the time to, uh, reckon, uh, with the Iraq war, uh, which is, you know, uh, since the invasion, you know, since your time, really, when you were over there, uh, uh, 
they didn't do any of that. I mean, I, you know, I was over there in 07 and 08 and, and there was uh, hardly this amount of attention on the war when it was going on. Right. So th that's been frustrating. The, and, but, you know, as because we just live in this, this hot take culture and society, it's, it's just been bizarre watching uh, two things happen simultaneously. On one hand, you have uh, generally on the left, a, a lot of people wanting to take victory laps because they showed up to one protest back in 2003. They were morally right and they're morally pure and this doesn't involve them. And, you know, uh, um, and, and I, f I find that just obnoxious. Like, yeah, no shit, you were right. You want a cookie? Um, uh, it made me think of something uh, Elliot Ackerman always says when if, if people ever ask him if, if he killed anybody um, uh, during his service. He says, if I did, you paid for it, right? And, and, and I, it, it's something to, you know, people don't like, even though we're a republic, even, 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 even though this is supposed to be woven into, you know, the American spirit, people don't like being told you are also responsible for something, uh, even if you don't like it. People do not want to hear that. Mm. Um, and then, but like insanely to me, I did not think this was going to happen. Uh, on the right, uh, uh, National Review had, uh, uh, had an issue on this and then a really obnoxious, lazy op-ed by Brett Stevens in the New York Times trying to, say, uh, trying, to, trying to say the Iraq war was actually worth it. Uh, and and, 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 and <laughs> what universe do these people live in? Um, uh, and uh, I mean, just real sloppy stuff. I mean, Stevens in particular, there's a passage in there. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, so, so I'm paraphrasing, but, but uh, basically makes the case that because Iraq was bad under Saddam, which is true, and, and, uh, that uh, America toppling Saddam uh, is therefore not morally responsible for what took place after toppling him. That is not how any of this works. And, and that, that's not even how the architects of the war saw it. Colin Powell very famously told George W. Bush before the invasion, we, if we do this, we are responsible for all of these people in all of their lives and everything that happens afterwards. So it's just lazy. It's sloppy. It, 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 I, I, these, are, these aren't stupid people. Um, I, I, I think they're just ideologues and they're caught up in, uh, um, uh, in, in kind of the bi binary political aspects of this. And it's more important for them to uh, pr pr pretend that they were right than, than think about this thoughtfully because it didn't actually impact, you know, none of these people, uh, it impacted personally, right? Yeah. Um, yep. they, they, don't, they don't close their eyes and, and see their dead friends the way we do. They don't. They don't get calls from from our former from our former soldiers struggling struggling uh, with things or, or, or you know uh, trying to figure out how to get get their VA claim adjusted the way we do. This is all notional for these motherfuckers, and it's still we knew it twenty years ago, and it still is twenty years later. Um, so uh, you know, uh, here I am, forty years old, still uh, still furious at at, at 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 these type of people that that uh, were more than happy to you know stand up and cheer for us. Uh, uh, when we didn't have anything to say, but certainly don't want to hear from us now that now that we're out of uniform and have something to say, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I want to I want to stay on this, Matt, because this yeah. is really really good stuff. Because um, you know we also got the burn pits bill passed this summer. Hooray! Twenty fucking years later, right? And and there's kind of this weird you know celebration well, at the same time celebrating something that should have happened long ago. Right. And then also never having the complete story. So we're not even talking about how burn pits impacted Iraqis. Right. And that's where we continue to try to push this conversation. But there's, a, you know, this is our journey as a generation. And the 20 year anniversary is also happening where we have kids now that ask questions. We're not, we're in middle age now. We're in our 40s and our 30s and our 50s. Um, and our kids are asking questions. And my son asked me, you know, why did they send you over there? And I, 
have explained this a thousand. I couldn't fucking explain it. Mm. I couldn't fucking because I really wanted to get it right for him. And I and I said something along the lines of like, I'm gonna have to explain this to you for my whole life. And and I'm gonna try my best. And I've also, like you, you know, you kind of want to retire and move on to something different. But you and I have a unique role in that we're elders now. Like at 40, we've been thinking about this for 20 years. And, and the argument with Brett Stevens is one that I had 20 years ago with neocons on Fox News, and we're replaying it. So I feel like we have to protect our history. And I remember. Um, I think it might have been Bobby Mueller or my friend Wayne Smith, when when John Kerry's service was being ripped apart, um, somebody said to me, they can do that now because we never really defined the story of Vietnam. Like they felt it was a failure on the country's part, maybe on their part to really tell the true story of Vietnam. And, you know, how do you tell the true story? Who knows? But as a writer, and as someone who I hope will do films and do many more things that help shape the consciousness of this country around Iraq and around itself, um, when you ask, when you want to tell people, hey, how do you understand Iraq 20 years later? It, it, you know, you're a professor now, you're a dad, like, how do you do that? How would you recommend people who want to understand it? Where do they start? What do they read? What do they watch? What do they do? Oh, boy. Uh... Heavy, heavy questions. I, I would, I, I want to start by kind of quoting um, a Vietnam uh, author uh, who recently passed away a couple of years ago, Larry Heineman, uh, who wrote Paco's story, and something about the anniversary conversation reminded me of, of a great quote of his. Uh, somebody asked him, you know, why, why do you write novels about the war? And he said, uh, because it's more polite than a simple "fuck you." And uh, I've been thinking about that about that a lot these past few days. Because it is complicated uh, in some ways, right? Um, uh, you know, the people that went to Iraq were young men and women uh, who j tended to join up uh, for the right reasons. Not all, of course, but, but uh, wanted to serve their country, uh, 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 saw what had happened on 9-11 and believed, believed this could be a new, new Pearl Harbor, right? Uh, and that kind of idealism, that kind of youthful righteousness was betrayed. Uh, by uh, uh, our political leaders and by, frankly, uh, a public unwilling to wade into the details and to, to parse through uh, very obvious facts. Like, you know, uh, the 9-11 hijackers were from Saudi Arabia, not Iraq, right? Like, this seems like you, you try to explain this, uh, you know, at this writer's conference that I was just at, it was hosted by a university. And you, you try to talk to 20-year-old kids about this and they're like, this doesn't make any sense. How were people duped? And and it's hard to it's hard to explain that you know seventy percent of Americans supported the Iraq invasion uh, right before it happened, right? And and now now all these people want veterans uh, to at least here in American society and, and and Iraqis in Iraq to bear the burden of the, these consequences. No, no, you were part of this too. You were part of this too. Uh, and showing up to one protest is great, and you you were right right on the side of it. Did you continue to engage? Did you continue to push? And some people can say yes, right? Um, and, and many others can't because um, they checked out. They did their they, they did their did their thing, and then they put their hands up. I'm sorry, that is not that's not good enough. This this belongs to us all, and it's ugly, and it's a, it needs to be ugly, and we need to remember it that that was ugly, so it doesn't happen again. You know, I think that's the great tragedy for for our friends who served in Vietnam or who prote protested Vietnam for them. Uh, uh, if they cared, if they care about this issue, they saw it happen again. Uh, I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine what that must have felt like. Um, 
and, and God knows at some point, Paul, sometime in our lifetime, these same people that we're talking about are going to try the same shit again. And it's going to be up to all of us, uh, vets and civilians alike, um, you know, people who care about these issues of war and peace to push back, right? And, 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 and to really make sure before this thing kicks off, is this a just war? Um, and you know, that, that's the difference between, you, know, you mentioned Ukraine. Um, no, Ukrainians don't have to ask themselves that. Americans don't need to ask themselves that. Like, well, wh wh why should we support Ukraine? Because you know what? Genocide is bad. Yeah. Protecting a sovereign democracy is good. It really is that simple. And uh, uh, Iraq never was. And it was always going to get a messy ending because of that. Uh, you know, uh, it just, I, I knew that, I, I think, some, sometime mid-2008. And things were kind of genuinely improving a little bit in 2008. But even then, I think we all knew it, uh, it was going to end messy. Because, you know, it, it, was, it was screwy from the start. And, and you, you, once, once things start, like that start happening, you can't unscrew it as it goes. Yeah. I thank you for being on now and having this conversation because this is the kind of conversation I think we have with some of our more thoughtful friends, not out in the open. Um, and I think people need to hear it. And, um, you know, there's, there, there's a, I, I'm reluctant to quote anybody, but Joe Klein from Time Magazine once told me because I was reflecting on the cover story that's got, you know, Wes Moore on it, who's now governor of Maryland. And you were around and we were part of this group of veterans organizations that had leaders that were trying to do lots of different things in different ways. And now they've, some of them are burnt out. Some of them are dead. One of the guys, you know, um, you know, Dale was on, was on the cover of that magazine. He's gone. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and John's still at the work and there's five of us there, but that, that cover in some ways is really an interesting reflection on it. And also there was the cover of time magazine that celebrated the American soldier, right. And, at the high point of popularity of Iraq. But there, there's um, what Joe Klein said was something like the world war II generation built this country, uh, his generation, the Vietnam generation fucked it up and it's our generation that has to save it. And, and part of me at the time was like, okay, I'm up for that. Now I'm like, fuck you. We have to save this too. We have to save the country again. And now we've got our own in government. We've got, you know, Wes Moore as a governor of Maryland. You've got folks like Dan Crenshaw and Seth Moulton. And, and then you got Tulsi Gabbard and you got this whole like, like spectrum of, of people we know, people we've followed, people we've supported, some of whom have held true, some of which became Eric Greitens, right? And so as you think about this moment, right, where we're being asked again, and maybe we're uniquely positioned to, to rise to this moment again, Allison Jaslow, the new CEO of IVA was on CBS this morning, and they asked her, you know, what do you want people to know about Iraq? She basically said, don't do it again. And I give her credit for saying that, because sometimes folks didn't want to say it. They kind of couched it in, well, my buddies were dying for themselves and all that. Nobody wants to say it was fucked up. It was wrong. We never should have done it. We should never do it again. But as we have all this colliding, Matt, what do you think the potential of our generation is? Like, you know, maybe Wes will be our first president who served in Iraq or Afghanistan. I've said that there might be a couple of them. We used, I said it to Wes when he was on the show. We thought it was going to be Wes versus Greitens for president one day. Maybe it's going to be Wes versus DeSantis one day. Or maybe it's going to be Tammy Duckworth versus somebody. Who knows? But this is unfolding now, and we're in our prime, right? Our generation. How do you? What do you see about the potential of those of us who are being asked again to save the country or lead the country? 
you know, I, I think maybe part of it's becoming a father, maybe part of it's just kind of feeling my youthful fury evolve into something else. Um, you know, I, I think uh, maybe Joe Klein was too hard on his generation, right? The boomers, it's, it's easy to make boomer jokes, but, but they did a lot of good, right? I mean, the Vietnam War was unjust, right? Like ending that, it took longer than it needed to, but like, uh, and, and it's, it's uh, awful that, that it was mostly protested the way it was simply because uh, middle-class kids were going. Um, but like, they were right. They were right. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of those folks ended up becoming Reagan voters uh, 10 years later, and, that, and that's weird. But, you know, I, I think it's worth remembering that people are people. And, uh, you know, our generation's kind of doing the same thing. Uh, you're right. 10 years ago, I, I was there at IVA with you, and, and, and there was kind of like this, this, this call to arms that we were going to be different and we were going to do all these you know, empowering things from the ground level. And some of them, some of them meant it. You know, I, 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 I think Wes uh, so far is proving himself to be one of those people, like the real deal. And, and I'd love to cast a vote for him for president someday um, if, if he continues to earn it. But then, yeah, you have somebody like Eric Greitens, uh, who was a shameless opportunist um, and continues to be a shameless opportunist uh, uh, in my estimation. And uh, that's because... You get any group of people, and, and you're, you're you're going to have real deals. You're gonna you're gonna have hangers on. You're gonna have shameless opportunists. You're gonna you know it, it, it's it, it's going to be messy. Um, my big hope, if 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 any kind of hope for uh, from from that youthful those youthful fire fire days still still exists, is that uh, we can be a more diverse country um uh and all this kind of fraction you know the, the since we were 20 years old this country's kind of been torn apart for politic politically iraq being a big reason why but we're also old enough to remember september 12th yeah. and that you know if if we can just clear this trump thing and uh you know uh a, a certain um certain percentage of the American population, you know, fades out, fades out to pasture that, that, at, you know, in these, these next 20, 30 years as, as um, uh, millennials and, and older Gen X become kind of, you know, kind of the senior statesman of this country, we can kind of thread the needle, right? We, 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 we can, we can call, use tap into righteous fury when we need to, but we can also rem remember why, it's not sustainable in a country like ours to to do that constantly because it's not it's it's simply not like if we keep if we keep up uh the trump if we kept up the trump years for 20 years there would be inevitably civil war there uh it, it is not sustainable and we're the only people at some at a certain point we're going to be the only people that remember what life was like before we remember what life was like before the internet right we remember the right. 90s we uh uh we remember you know uh, uh goofy uh, uh, partisan warfare. I mean, arg arguing about Clinton's sex life, like that is so silly. That is so silly now, yeah. right? And in some ways, maybe we can we can help help guide uh, the younger generations coming after us that like everything you have grown up to, because it's not their fault. This is the world we have given them. This is the America we have given them. They don't know any anything else. We still remember. Maybe, maybe we can we can teach teach them that it is okay to disagree. It is it is okay uh, uh, to argue furiously with somebody you care about 
and still break bread with them the next morning, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, but we, we just we just got to get through this Trump thing. I I I, I love everything you say, um, and I've not had a guest use the word righteous so many times in the conversation, <laughs> yet, so I appreciate that. Um, but I think you know there there is a righteousness about the kind of work you're doing and the kind of work that I'm trying to do that I think is is really important um, because I I do think our generation, especially our generation of veterans and and leaders, right, uh, have to be translators. We have to translate what America was to what America can be. We have to translate America to itself between different factions. We have to translate um, America to the pre-internet generation, uh, you know, from the the, the uh, post-internet generation, right? Like we have mentors that only take phone calls, that don't check email. And then we have kids who only know technology. So I think our, our moment is this next 20 years. And also, frankly, like, I have toxin exposures, you have toxin exposures. It feels like there's a clock ticking as simultaneously, my Vietnam mentor friends are dying. And we, you know them, we know them, our friends are, are in their last days. We've lost people like Max Cleland and others that were translating that generation. So we've got to, I think, assume the mantle. Um, and I think it's it's leadership, man. Like, like, But I also come to the point where I feel like America sometimes feels like America to Zelensky in that, like, I don't need your advice. I don't need a ride. I need your fucking ammunition. And that's what, as a leader, going back to our days at IVA, I'm outraged by how hard it was for us to raise money. I'm outraged by how hard it still is for Bonnie Carroll at TAPS to raise money to take care of the dead uh, uh, troops, right? Like the fact that there has to be a nonprofit to take care of the families of dead. So there's still a need to to wrap the country on the nose and say, hey, you're fucking up and you're not doing enough. And I think we're in a unique position to do that. And then enter Ukraine, right? Where where, um, this is, in my view, the fight of our time. Last time we talked to you, you were in Poland, you had just left. Now you've gone back. This article you wrote for for Esquire, The Secret Weapons of Ukraine, is awesome. It's just, it's so many things in one. It's I, I don't want to dismiss it by calling it Hunter Thompson-esque. I, I ask you to tell me who you think you are as a writer. But this this one is so important, Matt. And, and, and the things you've written have been so important. But this article kind of gets it all. And frankly, like has to explain it to America through an American prism because they won't understand it otherwise. Um, and you talk about the, the volunteers, this mismatch of people that are going there and you tell a story through them. Um, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. I want everyone to read it. But what do you think are the most important takeaways that you want people to to, to understand about that piece? Oh, well, th- first of all, thank you for the kind words. I I, I put a lot of a lot of time and effort into it, so uh, that it's out there resonating with readers like that uh, means the world. Um, yeah, you know, I I, I looked at uh, a lot of new journalism writers, uh, Joan Didion, uh, Michael Hare. Uh, who wrote from Vietnam, uh, uh, Hunter Thompson, among others, because Ukraine is an issue uh, I feel personally about, that I care about, that you know, I've been there before as a, as a volunteer trainer of civilians. Uh, going back as a journalist, I, I knew I couldn't kind of do a, a totally objective, fully removed newspaper style report. So, uh, but I didn't want, this, this isn't about me. This is about the, the men and women, uh, some international, some local Ukrainians, who have devoted their entire lives uh, to to this volunteer movement? Who you know, uh, who went right when uh, we when you know last March we came home to our families, uh, which was the right decision because I I, uh, I I like I like being married. I, I like spending time with my sons, but yeah, you know, uh, 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 others stayed. Others stayed, and, and I wanted to 
check in with them nine months into this war effort. So you meet people like uh, William McNulty, who, uh, whose organization Operation White Stork uh, literally drives around uh, uh, the country to different military units handing out tourniquets because you still find 1989 Soviet era med uh, medical kits on some of these Ukrainian soldiers that, that should not be used. I mean, they're, they're, they're literally saving lives they're, and, and they're, they're driving around in, in a volunteer van. Uh, 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 then you meet uh, a Ukrainian woman like Alexandra Blitsova and she's a military wife, right? She's, she's the equivalent of a gold star spouse um, uh, running an organization, uh, knitting ghillie suits in a community gym uh, for, for, the, for the local men of Mykolaiv who would uh, uh, only like a week after we were there uh, break through and push into Kyrgyzstan. Um, you know, the, the relationship to America is interesting because you, you talk to different internationals over there um, and uh, uh, they're fine. You know, some of them are lost soul types kind of just hanging out, but most of them are, are purpose-driven, right? Uh, uh, have found a, a real way to make changes on the ground level. I'm thinking of Ahmed Khan, who was a former Clinton White House staffer uh, who made a, a bunch of money as an, uh, in investment banking and literally just kind of spends most of his time in the country kind of looking for different causes uh, uh, to contribute to. Um, you know, help, uh, I, when we met up with him in Odessa, he had just kind of finished funding and helping rebuild an orphanage that Russians had shelled. Uh, and something he, he, he told me really resonated with me. He's kind of a, he's a native New Yorker like, he, like you are. And he said, you know, Ukraine right now, it reminds me of the America I grew up in, right? Um, uh, you know, in some ways, Ukrainians maybe are, are, are more American, they're, they're what Americans see ourselves as right now. They're innovative. They're, uh, uh, they have a gung-ho spirit. They're not waiting on the government to tell them to do something. They're going to go do it. But they're also still respectful of, of the government, of, of, of having some kind of unified authority uh, and, and knowing that they need to believe in it uh, on some level to, to, to stay together. Um, it, it's, it's really fascinating to watch, uh, and it, it, it makes the tragedy of, of all these young men and, and women, most of whom are in their twenties and thirties, uh, uh, you know, dying, uh, resonate even more. I mean, it's so many of them are citizen soldiers who, um, grew up elite, grew up in the nineties. They're about our age and have been through multiple social revolutions, orange revolution, uh, and, and then Maidan, the, 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 in 2013, 2014, being the two most prominent, um, uh, to attain what they have now. And now they're fighting again, fighting again to keep it. Uh, uh, this war is not new to them. And, and uh, it's, it's both inspiring and, and, and so tragic uh, to, see, uh, to see this happening. Um, you know, I, I, some, of those, some of those civilians we trained back Mar last March are fighting in Bakhmut right now. And... Uh, uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just, it's very poignant um, in, uh, in many different ways, which, which is why I, I, I needed 8,000 words in Esquire to, to, to tap into it, maybe. It's a, it's a brilliant 8,000 words. You know, as soon as you left, I sent you a note and said, you know, as soon as you are ready, I want to talk to you. And you said, I'm, I'm working on a piece, I'm processing it. And that's what like, you know, I learned at Hammerst, I was lucky enough to go there, you know, like writing is processing your thoughts, right? And the communication of thinking and the synthesis of thinking and, and analysis and all that. And the way you write is got a snarkiness to it and a humor and a, and a, and a relatability and an accessibility that, that's so important um, in, in telling that story. And, I, you know, I was on TV recently and they said, you know, what, how, what do you think about the, the popularity of the war going down? 
And I mentioned, you know, Tucker Carlson's banging away and you've got other propagandists that are chipping away at support, but support for our own wars drops over time. And we didn't pay attention to our own wars. So the, the, the challenge of trying to get people to continue to focus on and support Ukraine is exceptionally difficult, even more than it was in, in, in our own war. So it's kind of, you know, deja vu all over again. Can I ask, I want to move to, you know, other topics before we close, but I want to ask you straight up, Matt, if you were president or if you had the ear of Joe Biden, and he said, Matt, what should I do? What should America do? What do you say? Because you, I know you're not a political person per se, but you've been there. You've done that. You know what you're doing. You're smart. Like, and you're also great at ringing the bell saying, hey, America, this is uh, you know, what's happening and what we need to do. What would you tell the president America needs to do that differently? Give him the F-16s. Uh, you know, if we take one lesson from Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, it's to listen to the actual locals on the ground, right? Uh, there's so many differences um, between Ukraine and those wars. It's a sovereign democracy fighting a defense of itself rather than kind of toppling something and, and trying to impose it. Uh, uh, but 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 the big one for me is, you know, I've been places in Iraq where I know I'm not welcome, right? I, I know what that's, you, you know it too, the stink, what that stink guy, what that stare looks like. Yep. Uh, uh, you know, something like the Kiev Independent did a poll. It's like 96% of Ukrainians uh, uh, support Western aid, right? And, and anecdotally, you know, over there, people hear American English being spoken. I mean, they, they just come over to thank you for being there. Like they, they, you know, I could even when I say, "Oh, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm here as a journalist," they don't care, right? They're, they're, uh, so listening to the look, if we take anything from the last twenty years, it's what do the actual locals, not not the powerful tribal sheiks benefiting from contracts, say? What do the actual locals on the ground say, right? So, you know, I, I think that's something that I try to stress to, to folks when they ask me about Ukraine is, you know, uh, this is helping end a genocide. You know, I, I broke through to one of my very conservative friends on this issue uh, because uh, who, you know, has, has very embittered feelings towards the service in Iraq and Afghanistan, but also served in Bosnia. And when, when, I, when, um, and when, I, when I said, you know, maybe, maybe there's some more parallels here to that than there are to what we did in Iraq and uh, in, in Afghanistan, he, you know, he, he's like, okay, maybe, maybe I need to think about that a bit more. Um, so, and th that applies at the political level, right? Uh, stop, stop. We just need to stop with the kind of Henry Kissinger geopolitical chess games. And hey, what is going to end this war soonest? Because ending this war as quickly as possible will save lives, both Ukrainian and Russian, right? Uh, well, uh, if that's what the Ukrainian po political leaders and the Ukrainian generals and Ukrainian soldiers are saying they need more of, Listen to them. You know, on the ground level, I heard that from we spent a night with some territorial defense drone hunters. Uh, they have a, literally a brown machine, browning machine gun mounted to the back of a pickup truck, uh, shooting down Shahid drones. Uh, which is it sounds so ghetto, frankly, but it works. It works. Uh, I, you know, who am I to argue? You know, uh, who, who am I to argue? You know, it's, it's their war. They can prosecute it. The way, we're, we're there for support. And uh, send us. I said, what do you guys need more of? And they're like, listen, all the, all the other stuff is great, but we need weapons. Send us weapons. We need weapons. Uh, and that will end the war. And if we truly, you know, uh, all the moral reasons for supporting Ukraine make sense. All the pragmatic reasons make sense as well. I mean, uh, a, a drop in the bucket of our DOD budget is, is uh, whittling away at a, a very serious adversary. Um, uh, but let's let's save lives. Let's save lives, and that that means providing the heavy-duty weaponry that the Ukrainians are requesting. And if we listen, if we listen to them and let them let them take the lead, you know that they've 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 done more than anybody expected already. They will continue to do so. That 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 has been what I've observed.
that you just write all that down. That's your op-ed to counter Brett Stevens right there. I mean, that, that you know, it's uh, I've called it, you know, this geopolitical game of mother may I that, that they're stuck in and just give them what they fucking need and trust. Right. We trust them. Either, you know, either you trust them with the guns or you don't. Right. And if you give them one gun, give them what they need to win. And I appreciate how you frame it in terms of saving lives because that, that we do want to end the war. That is an objective, but it's also, I don't think people, and I don't even appreciate how messy it is, how bloody, how traumatic, how terrible it is on a scale and scope that maybe we've never seen in modern times. And people used to always say, well, you know, would we let another Rwanda happen? Well, we're watching, right? And this is different, of course, but the, the failure to act is something that is, um, I think, kind of a unique American thing right now where there's a lot of hemming and hawing and then eventually we do the right thing, but it seems to always take too long and, and be too painful, whether it's, you know, burn pits or January 6th accountability or Ukraine. So I hope that maybe our generation of leaders can move it forward. Um, I hope you can stick around for a couple extra Patreon member questions. That'll be fun, but you're a master of all things, uh, including sports. I love, I wish you had a sports column every week because you're fucking amazing on sports. Um, we've got so much, sports happening and you know while we're talking about this serious stuff it's uniquely american like we watch ukraine then we turn over to march madness and the world baseball classic and the nba and all that um can, can i ask you to pull back and like where are we in sports in america um you know where sports seems bigger than ever um and maybe the ultimate distraction when we need it the most because our country is so fucked up and there's so much trauma after covid and all of this but what sports now in America, Matt? And and what about it excites you? Sports, as always, is both an escape and and I think uh, an interesting prism into uh, in, into which you can look look into the state of the country. Um, uh, I think Wright Thompson on, of ESPN had an incredible piece about two months ago, uh, following the Ukrainian soccer team, uh, kind of kind of exploring, uh, it, you know, trying to be these these young men try, who, who feel the burden of being symbols of an entire society at war, uh, you know, under, under threat of, of survival, but they're also just young athletes, right? Trying, trying to do the best they can, uh, uh, often against teams that are probably slightly favored against them. So, you know, I, with sports, I, there's a lot of good happening. There's a lot of bad. I mean, just, just last night, I thought it was just an incredible baseball game, the World Baseball Classic between Japan and America. America didn't win, but that's okay. Right, like uh, seeing the sheer joy on on Otani's face and his teammates after he struck out Trout uh, was uh, I, I don't know. It just it made me proud to be a human being. Right, uh, 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 you know, these are real real people who have devoted their lives to perfecting this craft. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, I wasn't a big baseball guy growing up, but uh, again, settling into middle age, maybe you know, uh, uh, there's no, it's watching Clayton Kershaw pitch when he's on. I feel like I'm watching Van Gogh paint, right? I mean, it is actually poetry in action. It is a beautiful thing. Uh, but then, you know, uh, uh, take a view uh, through another uh, another way. Sports is uh, incredibly corrupt, right? I mean, uh, it, it's the NFL. I know we're both big NFL fans. I can't quit it, even though I threatened to a few times over the years. Yeah. Uh, even being a Browns fan, if I can't quit it, uh, not, nothing will make you do it. But, um, you know, the NFL can never get out of its own way. Um, we, you know, we had a guy uh, literally almost literally die on the field until until uh, a, a, a genuine hero brought him back to life uh, on the Bills, you know, about about two months ago. And that is going to happen again, right? And uh, 
I'm sure you and your wife are, have had these conversations, but like my boys aren't, aren't playing tackle football. They're, they're just not going to. Um, uh, I did, I wasn't very good at it. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I, 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 I learned some hard, hard lessons, uh, in that experience that served me well, uh, in particular in the, in the army, but it's, it's just not worth it. And, uh, it's, it's odd seeing that the, you know, the spectacle of football is as big and grand as ever. And, and I still watch it. Um, I don't feel good doing it sometimes, but, I, but I still watch it. So, you know, like a lot of things, like the state of American society, like the state of American politics, a lot of good, a lot of bad. Uh, it's, it's never just pure escapism though. And I, I think that's where some people get, get tripped up where, uh, you know, they'll, they'll yell, you know, Eric, Hey, Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets. Speaking of incredible theater and incredible uh, combination of, of of politics and sports, Aaron Rodgers versus the New York media is going to be Chef's Kiss. Just, just, just true, true, true theater. I can't wait. Yeah, so, I mean, I, uh, you know, unfortunately, war is is the ultimate reality TV, and in America, you know, politics is too. But the reality TV of sports right now is just off the charts. And, and all these stories that are happening, I was just reading about the Ukrainian heavyweight who, you know, is trying to land a, a fight with Tyson Fury and they're, they're going back and forth on negotiations and they want to donate a million dollars to Ukraine. I mean, there's all these interwoven components and Rogers coming to the Jets is just amazing. I mean, what a time to be in New York for sports with Aaron Rodgers potentially here and with, uh, you know, Aaron Judge re-signing and the Giants and the Jets, all of it. It's just, it's all a lot. But I also um, feel like it's one of those rare things that does unite America, right? Whether it's the Super Bowl or something else. And when it comes to football, you know, uh, I kind of view it a lot like 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 the military, right? Like there are plenty of families who say, you'll never join the military. And that kid's going to go fucking join, right? That's and That's and my kids are, you know, 16. I'm probably, he may be sneaking off to go put a helmet on and play middle linebacker. But all this is, is um, just more about the stew that is America. And you are the chef, like helping us through it. And I hope you write or do like, I wish you did a regular fatherhood thing. I wish you did a regular sports thing. You know, I, I hope that everyone gives you any platform you can because you're such an important voice. And I said this early on, I was honored to work with you at IAVA when you were working on some of your early stuff, but I think you're one of the most important voices of our time. And it, it's bigger than just Iraq and Afghanistan. And it's fun to see, and it's inspiring and important to see so many of our colleagues do different things, whether it's Wes at Governor or you, the new novel is Daybreak. When is it coming out? Uh, February 2024 uh, from my publisher, Atria. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a short novel, but it's set during the Russian invasion in Ukraine last, uh, last winter. It's based on some folks that we knew when we were going in as trainers. We were kind of arriving at the same time as, as the first group of international legionnaires. And uh, one, got, one American vet, uh, uh, Han Lee, is going to fight because he's still got a lot of fight in him. And uh, the other American vet, uh, Luke Paxton, um, is going to help, but it's also because there's a, uh, an old flame, a uh, Ukrainian woman named Svetlana that he, he, he never could shake. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they both served in Afghanistan about 10 years before. So they're, they're kind of dealing with uh, some, some leftover issues from that. And yeah, you know, it was a, the book just kind of came together in a way. This is this will be my third novel, my fourth book, 
and I don't know, it felt right from page one in a way that uh, uh, my previous books sometimes didn't. Uh, it was they were more of a fight. This one just kind of came together real well. I, I'm just kind of really excited to share it with readers because uh, 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 it. Uh, I don't know. It's good. I'll, I'll be honest, Paul. It's, it's, it's <laughs> I'm sure it is. I mean, everyone should check out Young Blood. Everyone should check out Kaboom. Empire City is awesome. I mean, and and frankly. I feel like now you got enough of these that like the movies need to be coming. And, and unfortunately, not everyone reads books, less people read books than ever before. But I can't wait one day. You know, I hope there will be movies of all of your books. And uh, I just can't um, recommend them highly enough. I can't recommend you highly enough. You know, you've put out multiple books and two children. Uh, and your wife is amazing. And I'm really honored to know you, man. Thank you for coming back on the show. Who'd you pick in your bracket? Purdue, uh, same as Me you, too. I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit! It's okay. Duke lost. That's all that matters. Every, every, everything else is everything else is fine as long as Duke loses. Uh, I'll tell you what. I got a, a number of parenting recommendations, and one is like do brackets with your family. Yes. Like yeah. even if if you don't know anything, if you don't care, we we had a World Cup bracket on the wall, and we do geography class around it. Now you know we have to figure out. All, my kids are learning about all the colleges. And my four-year-old loves TCU because they're the Horned Frogs and they have cool uniforms, right? But it's it's a great thing as a family. It's a fun time in America. And uh, you are an important voice. Thank you. The great and powerful Matt Gallagher. Belated happy St. Patrick's Day. Um, happy Iraq anniversary. I don't know what we fucking say, right? Uh, well, uh Remembering it, I think, is the most important thing. But uh, uh, really great catching up with you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Thank you, brother. Stay vigilant. I can't wait for everything that Matt writes and especially his new novel. I tell you all the time, the helpers are out there and he is an example, a tremendous example of a helper. Check out his books, check out his articles, find him on Twitter, find him online and follow everything he does because he shows you the helpers are out there. And Matt Gallagher is a great example to his family, to his community, to his country and to the world. He's what a helper looks like. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. You know how this game works. Check the hashtag look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours. Shout them out. Tell me who you see. Tell me who you want to celebrate. Tell me who you want to share and look for those helpers. And this week was the birthday of the greatest helper of all. This week, was Mr. Rogers' birthday. And in my view, it should be a national holiday. He's a truly great American, one of the best teachers I've ever had, and that my kids have now, and an example to us all, always. So let's start this out. Let's make Mr. Rogers' birthday a national holiday. Because as he showed us, the helpers are out there, and we gotta keep looking for them. And while you're watching for the helpers, Watch for my next pitch coming out on social every Wednesday night when I throw a guest the guest at you. Everyone swung and missed last week. Most folks didn't even step up to the plate. Well, that's in part because we did a best of with General Barry McCaffrey, Rachel Maddow, Chef Robert Irvine, and Wes Moore. If you haven't checked it out, please do. And go back and check out the original episodes with all four of them. 
Nobody stepped up to guess, but one man did. One guy we can always count on to step up and swing and try. Our cleanup hitter, our MVP, our friend down in Houston, Texas, Delfino Sanchez. And he said, Paul, you're right. Lots of curveballs and surprises. Here's a likely swing and a miss. Any chance it's the great and powerful Eddie Murphy. No, it was not Eddie Murphy. Uh, but we did have a little Easter egg at the end of the show, thanks to our friend Chris Rosenthal, that was an Eddie Murphy pop. But I told you to stay Semper Gumby, and Delfino is always doing that. He also said he enjoyed the last pod with General McCaffrey. He said it was fantastic. Thank you, Delfino. Keep swinging, keep coming, and play online and send your questions. And you can check out that episode with General McCaffrey and this one and all of them at independentamericans.us. You can join our bullpen of most trusted supporters in the Patreon community for just five bucks. You can help us keep bringing the heat, power this work, and get lots of exclusives and special content behind the scenes. You will get an extra special helping of Matt Gallagher just for you. I ask him what shows he likes. I ask him what food he likes. Lots of cool questions. Check out extra content with Matt Gallagher only for our Patreon members. And as I've told you before, every Thursday around 11 a.m. Eastern, I'll be bringing the heat in a weekly segment on News Nation with Marnie Hughes. We'll continue to focus on national security, vets, political stuff, and, of course, Ukraine. And I usually post last week's episode on the website at Independent Americans U.S., where you can also find the information for our Friday Zooms. Every Friday, 12 p.m. Eastern, we'll get a little crew together. I'll answer your questions. We'll celebrate the week. We'll look ahead, and I'll throw you some fastballs. So come on out every Friday. It's free on Zoom and linked in the show notes. And while you're there, hit me up on social media. Subscribe and share and do all those things. Just go ahead and pound that subscribe button. It's the only thing we ask of you to do when you step up to the plate. So as all these wild pitches continue to come in America's head, we can be the umpire. We can be the helmet, we can be the crowd, we can be the clutch hitters. We can find the folks who find a way to respond, to pull us through the tough stuff and lead us all to victory, even when we're down in the late innings. 50% of veterans are independents, 65% of young people, 40% of Asian Americans, 37% of Latinos, 30% of African Americans, and 20% of Native Americans. It's a strong and deep roster and it's growing. We're not alone in our independence. Our independent movement continues to score runs. And I'll keep giving you a scoreboard update. There's a constitutional amendment now to enact top two primary elections in South Dakota. They need 35,000 petition signatures from South Dakotans in order for it to get on the ballot in 2024. There's also a move underway to make a huge change in the way Oregon holds primaries in that state. There's something called IP17, an initiative petition to upgrade Oregon's primary elections. And in Pennsylvania, State Representative Marla Gallo-Brown announced she will be reintroducing legislation in Pennsylvania to allow independents to vote in primary elections. All this will be on social media, in this show, and in the show notes, and on our website. I'll continue to keep you updated on the score and how our independent team continues to score runs. Partisan zealots want to close primaries in every state. And there's legislation still pending in Alabama, Missouri, Texas, and all kinds of other places. And March Madness, playoffs, and the start of a new season are all here. And it's time to get off the bench and play ball, people.
America is more divided than ever before, probably this week especially. But we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are working to change that, to add light, to contrast the heat of all the other political shows, and to build a new winning team. So if you're among that 50% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. And if you're a Republican or a Democrat and you're not a diehard partisan, this can be your show too. Or if you're just a concerned American who cares about the future of your country, this is your show and this is your movement. All are welcome. And we invite you to be a part of a winning team, the team of the future and the team that is bringing solutions. Our independent movement is the bullpen, the murderer's row, and the Hall of Fame manager. A team united around country over party, people over politics, light over heat, busting up the status quo and driving a new movement that spans all across our society. My two sons started baseball this week. Yes, folks, baseball is back. And my older son is on the Timber Rattlers. Yes, his league is named after minor league teams, and the the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers are a minor league baseball team of the Midwest League and the high A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers, which is cool because my four-year-old's t-ball team is called the Brewers. After the last few weeks, we're all going to need a brew or two and some sports to distract motivate, and unite us. Our movement is growing, and I hope you enjoyed this episode with Matt Gallagher, and if you did, please share it far and wide. Invite others to declare their independence. And stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And know you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant, and we're all on this team together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. Stay vigilant, America, and play ball! Powered by Righteous Media.